This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Listen to the word of God. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is the word of God for the people, people of God. Be to God. Thank you, Mike. Won't you join me in a word of prayer for just a moment? Let's pray. Lord God, there is a distinction to be made this morning between hearing your word and receiving your word. We don't want to just hear it today. We want to receive it. We want to receive it so that it can impact our hearts and help us live lives that honor you. So today we ask that we'd be open, that we'd be receptive. We would not just be hearers, but we would be compelled to be doers of your word. In the name of our Savior, we pray and all God's people said. So I want us to talk about passion today. Passion. I, I know the title of the sermon is How to Have a Terrific New Year. It's the first day of the new year. And we do want you to have a terrific new year, but you cannot have a terrific new year without living each day, each week, each month with passion. And so I stand before you this morning, brothers and sisters, and I don't just wish you a happy new year. I wish you a passion-filled, passion-fueled new year. Because without passion, nothing great happens in your life or in mine. No wonder the Bible encourages us to have passion. Christ's followers should be known for their passion for the Lord. To pray with passion, to worship with passion, to study the Word with passion, to serve with passion. Without passion, life gets stagnant and stale. Without passion, we stop making progress, and we start making excuses. When we lose our passion, we become easily discouraged. You can push through a lot when you have passion. You can. You you can endure a lot. You can build a great marriage when you have passion. You can build a great career when you have passion. You can build a great life when you have passion. And you can build a great church with passion. Hey, if you want to have a trick new year, it starts right here, and it starts with passion. Carefully protected, faithfully respected, intelligently directed, and never neglected. We're talking this morning about passion. Good. Yeah. But before we talk specifically about the kind of passion we're going to talk about, I just want to mention the kind of passion we're not going to talk about. All right? Because the word passion gets thrown around a lot. gets used in a lot of different contexts in a lot of different ways. We're not talking this morning about romantic passion. That's a type of passion. Nothing wrong with romantic passion in the right context, but we're not going to talk about that today. Next week, we're starting a new series on what Jesus had to say about marriage and romance. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about passion, but not today. Not, not that kind of passion. We're also not talking about a temperament or a personality type. You know, someone says, I'm just a passionate person. Well, that, that probably means they're emotionally expressive. They're, they're easily excitable. They like to jump up and down. And we're, we're not talking about a temperament or a personality type. It's interesting also in the Bible, the word passion sometimes refers to suffering. 
You remember the movie, The Passion of Christ. And in church, we have uh, sometimes we have Passion Sunday. The word passion, in, in that context, it comes from the Latin word passeo, which means deep suffering. And it has to do with the suffering of Jesus. The Passion of Jesus deals with the suffering. And that's a worthy topic of conversation and reflection, but that's not what we're talking about in this sermon. When we're talking today about passion, we're talking about a deep commitment to pursue an authentic relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. A deep commitment, an intentional commitment to pursue the Lord, to know Him and to be known by Him, to experience His presence and His power in His life, and then to live out His plans and purposes for your life. We're not talking about sort of a superficial, casual interest in spirituality. We are talking about an authentic, faithful relationship with the living Lord, an intentional pursuit after the heart of of God. When Jesus says you should love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength, he's talking about passion. When he says we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's talking about passion. It's interesting when you read the scripture, different words are, are used for passion. Zeal. Zeal is a type of spiritual passion. The psalmist says, as the deer pants for water in a dry and thirsty land, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. Talking about passion. The Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ consumes me. He's, he's talking about a passion. The prophet Jeremiah says, there's a fire in my bones. He's talking about passion. Whatever you call it, however you describe it, the Bible encourages us to have it. Passion. Carefully protected. Faithfully respected, intelligently directed, and never neglected. Yes, if you want to have a terrific new year, it starts right here, and it starts with, with passion. Yeah. Interesting, in today's scripture lesson, out of the book of the Revelation, a very passionate book, the book of the Revelation was uh, written by the Apostle John near the end of his life. He had been exiled to the island of Patmos for proclaiming the gospel in a very dangerous world, and he was there on this island in exile, and the, the Lord Jesus appeared to him, the resurrected Lord Jesus, in a vision, and uh, gave him this incredible vision that's the book of the Revelation. But the first part of that vision, early on, Jesus actually instructs John to write letters to different churches in Asia Minor around the first end of the first century. Seven churches in Asia Minor. And one of those churches was the church of Ephesus. And Jesus says, write this to the church in Ephesus. And that was what we heard in our scripture today. Jesus speaking to the Christians at the church in Ephesus, the ancient city. He says, I know your deeds. I know you work hard. I, I know you've stayed true. I know you've gone through hard times and you've kept the faith. You've stayed uh, faithful to the truth. But then he says this, I have this against you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is commending them on being faithful, on, on staying true, but he says, I have this against you. And then he tells them what it is. He says, You've lost your first love. Some translations put it this way. You lost the love you had for me at first. Or other translations put it this way. You no longer love me the way you used to. But what is Jesus getting at here? He's saying to the Ephesian Christians, He's saying, hey, you've lost your passion for me. You're not really loving me anymore with your whole heart. Your life, your strength. You've let the flame go down to a flicker. You, you're going through the motions, but you're, you're not doing it with passion. 
What happened to the Ephesian church? What happened to those Christians that caused them to lose their passion? And we could ask, what causes us to lose our passion sometimes? You ever lose your passion for the Lord? Have you lost it? Is your flame down to a flicker? It can happen. How does it happen? Why does it happen? Today's scripture gives us a little clue. Jesus says to the church, I know you've gone through hardship and persecution. You know, sometimes hardship can cause us to lose our passion. Right? Now, in Ephesus at that day, uh, it was the center of Artemis worship. Artemis was a pagan goddess, uh, the goddess of hunting and the goddess of uh, fertility. I don't know why that's a weird combination, but that's what she was. And uh, the temple of Artemis was in Ephesus, which was at that time one of the seven wonders of the world, a huge temple. And they would have festivals and holy days there. Well, the Christians in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, they wouldn't participate with the worship of Artemis. That would be idolatry. That would be forsaking uh, their, their Lord. So they refused to participate and they suffered for it. Persecution. And the hardship caused them to... To lose some of their passion. Hardship can do that. <laughs> Max Licato tells a cute story about uh, Chippy the parakeet. Uh, Chippy the parakeet uh, lives in his cage on a perch. And his owner, Barbara Watts, puts him by the, the window of her apartment where the morning sun comes in and drenches the little cage with light and Warmth hits Chippy the parakeet and he, he bursts out in song, joyful song every morning. One day Barbara's cleaning her apartment and she's got the vacuum cleaner out and she decides she's going to vacuum out Chippy's cage, which she's done many times. Chippy's used to it, he just stays on his perch. She opens up the cage door, she takes the attachment off the vacuum cleaner, puts the hose in the bottom of the cage and then her phone rings. She looks away for just a moment and in her moment of distraction, she tilts the end of the hose to the vacuum cleaner upward. And you know what happens? Whoop! Chippy the parrot gets sucked into the vacuum cleaner. Barbara realizes what's happened. She turns off the vacuum. She opens it up. She tears into that vacuum bag. Through all the soot and the dust, she finds Chippy. He's still alive, but he is stunned. And he is covered now with dust and soot and gook. So she rushes him over to the kitchen sink. She turns on the sink. She shoves him under the water, washes him off. Now he's really stunned. But at least he's clean, but he's soaking wet and he's shivering and she's worried. So she takes him and she rushes into the bathroom. She gets out her blow dryer and she dries him. Now he's nice and fluffy. She puts him back in his cage. And there he sits on his perch, still alive. But he has been sucked up, washed out, blown away. (laughs) But he's still on his perch. And there he sits, having survived. But Barbara says, he doesn't sing anymore. You lost your song? Some of you had a pretty rough year, 2016. Some of you lost loved ones. Close friends, some of you got divorce papers in the mail. Some of you got a phone call late at night from the police about your kid. Some of you lost your job. Some of you got bad news from a doctor about tests. See, the reality is, hardship can cause us to lose our song. We get through it, 
We're still standing. We're there on our perch. We've made it through the tough time. We've persevered. Just don't feel like singing anymore. It can happen. Lose your passion. Sometimes it's not hardship. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's the good times that can cause you to lose your passion. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's not when things are going bad. It's when things are actually going pretty well. Because when you have good times, sometimes you can lose your focus. Interesting, again, when you study the city of Ephesus, around the end of the first century, it became a very wealthy cosmopolitan city. It was a port city. And uh, it became very uh, wealthy with commerce and trade. And no doubt, the the economic upturn helped the the Christian church there in Ephesus. It was growing uh, prosperous and and doing well. The the period of persecution was over, and now things were booming. Sometimes an economic upturn can cause you to lose your passion. It's, it's strange, but, but increased affluence can lead to decreased spiritual passion. Why is that? Well, it's hard to say, but, but sometimes with money comes more options. More options to pursue more things, sometimes lesser things that become way too important in our lives. Sometimes we get seduced by the siren call of nicer, newer, bigger, better, shinier. Greater joys through nicer toys, right? And the pursuit of pleasure replaces the the pursuit of holiness. Chasing after stuff becomes more important than chasing after God. We lose our passion. Our wallets grow fat and our hearts grow cold. It's interesting when you read the Old Testament and the relationship that the Hebrew people had with their God. It was like a roller coaster. Sometimes they'd be up. Sometimes they'd be down. And, and the down times often corresponded to the times when the nation of Israel was flourishing. The flocks and herds were growing fat and full. The, the, the figs were on the tree. The, the vats were filled with fine wine. The, the crops were plentiful in the field. And the people lost their passion for God. God sent the, the prophets to, to warn them, to, to wake them up, but they didn't, they didn't see it. They, they, they lost their focus when things were going well. See, here's the truth about you and me. Sometimes God, God wants to give us good things. He wants us to enjoy good things. He wants to give us many gifts. But a subtle change can take place in your heart where you start loving the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. Amen? You can start caring more about the stuff than the source of the stuff. And you can grow self-indulgent and self-reliant and you can lose your passion because you've lost your focus. It's not that prosperity is bad. Hear that. It's that if you, if you let it, it can draw you away from God. So how do we keep the passion alive? How... How do we go through the hard times and keep our song and go through the good times and keep our focus, maintain our focus? It's not easy to do, but the answer to it is found right here in today's Scripture in verse 5. Jesus gives the answer. In fact, let's take a look at this. Let's read this out loud. This is the way to keep your passion. Let's read it out loud. 
Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I've underlined the, the key words. Remember, repent, and do. Remember, repent, and do. Say that with me. Remember, repent, and do. If you want to keep the passion alive, remember, repent, and do. Jesus says, remember. Let's start there. Remember the heights from which you fall. What he's really saying is, remember the high moments. Remember the high moments. Remember the time when your relationship with God was at its fullest and best. Remember the time when, when you sensed His pleasure in your life. Remember the times when you were loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember when you were amazed by His grace. Remember when, when you were in awe of His goodness and glory. Remember when you delighted yourself in the Lord and His presence was palpable to you. Interesting, one of the most often repeated commands in the Bible is this. Remember. Remember. Because when we remember, it stirs up our passion. Remember your spiritual mountaintop experiences. Remember in darkness what you experienced in the light. Remember in the valley what you experienced on the mountaintop. Truth is, you can't have mountaintop experiences all the time, but you can remember them anytime. And when we remember them, it stirs up our passion. I can still remember. I can still remember the day I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Fourteen-year-old. I can remember how it felt when it finally clicked for me. That Jesus would die on a cross for my sin. Give me the opportunity to be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. And have a relationship with Him. Not just go to heaven when I die, but but live a new kind of life here and now, I can remember the first time that made sense to me and I prayed the prayer. I remember that. I remember one time being on a retreat with the youth group at the church I was going to. I was probably 17 years old. We were around the fire, fireplace. We'd been singing some praise songs and the leader talked a little bit about the love of God. and Then... At the conclusion of the evening, we all held hands and we sang a little praise song. An old praise song. Kumbaya. I hate to admit that. Kumbaya. We, we held hands and we sang Kumbaya. <laughs> and in that moment, I understood what the Bible talks about when it talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters unite together in harmony and love. I, I could sense it there. I remember... I could take you to the very pew I was sitting at when I felt the call to become a pastor. And God said to me, I want you to be a a United Methodist pastor. I can remember that. And now I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And I can remember my first Christmas at Ebenezer Church. The, the, The first Christmas, I came here in July. I was 35 years old. And those first few months were really difficult. The, the church had been in an unhealthy place and it was struggling and it, it was really hard. And uh, that first Christmas Eve, we didn't have the sanctuary. We were in the gathering room. And we had a couple services, but we, just we had not expected the number of people who would show up for Christmas Eve. We had to pull out extra chairs, ran out of candles. It, it, we were doing communion. We ran out of communion bread. 
at the, at the, at the last service. We'd, we'd run out of communion bread. And uh, the kitchen was right behind me, and I, I went in there to see if we could find anything. I opened up the freezer. There was frozen banana bread in the freezer. That's all we had. So I, I took it. Went back out. It's dark, you know, it's darker in there. And I'm continuing to give communion, the body of our Lord Jesus. And I noticed as people were taking it, because it kind of break it and it's getting mushy. <laughs> people dip it, then they'd take it and they'd get this funny look on their face. <laughs> so then I, I realized what I needed to do. The body of the Lord Jesus. Hey, it's banana bread. The body of the Lord Jesus. It's banana bread. <laughs> when that last service was over, everybody was gone. It was late at night. I was exhausted. I sat in that gathering room all by myself. And I had planned to leave this church that spring, that, that coming spring. I said, I'm getting out of here. And that was a high and holy moment where God said, no, I've got work for you to do here. I hope you have some moments in your life. Some mountaintop kind of moments. Remember them. Because when you remember them, you remember what God is trying to do in your life and through your life, that He does not leave you and forsake you. You may not always have the mountaintop experiences, but you will have some. And when you remember them, it stirs up the passion once again. Remember. But don't just remember. Jesus says also repent. Repent. That's, that's, that's the second key. because he says, remember the heights from which you've fallen and repent. Repent. That that means to be filled with sorrow over the dissonance that now exists between who you are and who you know God wants you to be to what you've let slide in your life and what you wished you had still been doing in your life. And that dissonance, that disconnect, I'm not who God calls me to be. I'm not doing the things He's asked me to do. I'm not following the way I should. I've lost the passion. That disconnect is meant to hurt. It's meant to be painful. You might even feel a little bit guilty about it. You know, we live in a culture today that's so afraid of guilt. Right? We're so afraid to feel guilty. And the church will say, hey, we don't want anybody to feel bad. Right? Hey, guess what? Sometimes you should feel bad. Sometimes you should feel guilty if you're not walking in the way that Jesus has called you to walk. But the guilt is not to condemn you. The guilt is to wake you. To wake you to the life He has for you. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, says there's two types of guilt. There's worldly guilt, which brings death. And he says then there's godly guilt, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Saying, hey, hey, I've got plans and purposes for you, and you're missing it, you're missing it. I have a path for you, and you've strayed off. There's, there's, there's things I'm calling you to, and you're ignoring me, you're, 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 you're neglecting me. That guilt, that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, it leads to repentance and brings salvation and leaves no regret. You'll never regret those moments when the Spirit convicts you and you respond and say, God, I want to follow you with passion. I want it back. I, I, want, I want to be the person you're asking me to be. To repent simply means to turn around and go in the right direction. To change your mind, change your attitude, change the the way you're approaching life. It means if you've strayed from the path, you get back on the path. And God always welcomes that. And the church should always encourage people to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Consider the heights from which you've fallen and then then repent. And And then finally, do. 
do. Right? Do the things you used to do. Here, here's the good news. When you do what you used to do, you'll get back what you used to have. That's the good news. When you do what you used to do with the Lord, you'll get back what you used to have with the Lord. And that's true in your marriage too, isn't it? Yeah. It's not that love dies and we stop doing. We stop doing and love dies. Remember that song from the 70s? Some of you are old enough to remember that song from the 70s. Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand. Remember that? You don't bring me flowers anymore. What a sad song. About a marriage that went bad. And they're wondering what happened. They can't quite put their finger on but here's what they know. You don't bring me flowers anymore. You don't sing me love songs anymore. I, I won't sing it to you. But you get the point, right? What is Jesus, what would he say to you today? What would he say? You don't bring me flowers anymore. You don't sing me praise songs anymore. It's interesting. Christians have identified and the Bible has clarified for us the specific things that you and I must do to maintain a passionate relationship with God. And it ain't rocket science. Basic, simple, spiritual disciplines. Worshiping together on the Lord's Day consistently. Honoring the Sabbath to keep it holy. Having a daily quiet time where we expose ourselves to the Word of God and invite the Holy Spirit to speak a word of encouragement and correction to us. Praying consistently. Finding how God has gifted us and getting involved in a ministry where we're using our gifts, talents, skills, and abilities to be a blessing to other people. Being a part of a small group where we have uh, engagement with, with other Christians for the purpose of encouragement and strengthening one another in love. I'm telling you, friends, doing leads to passion. Mother Teresa had this quote. Many people have heard it. You've probably heard it too. She says, if you can't do great things, do little things with great love. And that's good, but people end it there. The quote was much longer than that. She didn't just say, hey, if you can't do great things, do little things with great love. You know what else she said? She said, if you can't do little things with great love, do little things with little love. And she says, if you can't do little things with little love, do things anyway and love will grow. Right? That's the key. Doing leads to feeling, to passion. And we live in a culture that says, I've got to wait till I feel it before I do it. That's a recipe for disaster in your life. Because there's going to be days you're not feeling it. Amen? But you do it because you know, you know, that's the key to keeping the flame alive. That's the key to passion. Romans 12.11. Let's take a look at this passage for a second. Romans 12.11. Let's read this out loud. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep up your spiritual passion as you serve the Lord. See, maintaining spiritual passion is our responsibility. If your faith isn't growing, you're not feeding it. If the fire isn't blazing, you're not stoking it. There are things we got to do, but when we do the things we did at first, we'll experience what we had at first. The passion will come back. So I invite you this morning to come and receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. Come and receive communion like you're doing it for the first time. And remember... Remember what it was like. Remember what Jesus has done. And if necessary, repent. If, if, if the passion has gone, repent of that. And, and then make a commitment to go out and do what Christians have always done to keep the flame alive.
Because I'll tell you, friends, God is too great. The stakes are too high. And time is too short to live even one single day without passion. Carefully protected, faithfully respected, intelligently directed, never neglected.